Hello, I'm Dale Gentry, and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm an ecologist and a professor of biology and a Christian. I find great joy and harmony in my life exploring science, studying birds, and in following Jesus. I help start Disciple Science to produce short videos and other resources to show how integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. I'm glad you're here to join me and occasional guests to explore the intersection of science and Christian faith. Now, let's get on with the podcast. While Christians have a strong moral foundation for earthkeeping, as we've discussed in previous episodes, we don't have a sterling reputation for practicing what we preach. From that knowledge comes the recent book, Beyond Stewardship, a collection of essays edited by and contributed to by Calvin University professors, ecologist Dr. Dave Warners, and engineer Dr. Matt Hewn. This two-part interview will talk about the Christian environmental stewardship paradigm, where it may be lacking, and how we can reframe a Christ-centered commitment to tend and watch over all of God's creation to better inspire the next generation of earth keepers. This interview spanned two sessions, so we're breaking it up into two episodes, and this is the first. Enjoy. All right, we are fortunate today to be joined by Dr. Dave Warners and Dr. Matthew Hune, who are both contributors and editors of a recent book called uh, Beyond Stewardship, uh, New Approaches to Creation Care. And so as we dig through this and some of the history of the Christian environmental movement, uh, before we get started, if you guys wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about your background, what you teach, and how you got interested in this topic. All right, I'll go first. Um, my background is I'm an ecologist. Uh, I would call myself a botanist and a restoration ecologist. And um, I would say that I've always, as far back as I can remember, like back when I was a college student, the concept of stewardship really caught my attention, but it also bothered me a little bit for, mm. for reasons that come out in the book. Yep. But uh, I think a main one was just that. Um, you know, a steward takes care of something while the owner's away. And that just didn't equate very well with my understanding of creation as a place where I found God's presence uh, really vibrant and, mm-hmm. and real. So um, I've always sort of, you know, it's been something that's festered uh, for years, decades. And, um, and then at Calvin, talking with several colleagues, including Matt, um, find out that other people are less than satisfied with the idea of stewardship as well. And so we kind of got, got ourselves together, and, and the outcome of that was this book. Yeah, um, I'm Matt Hewn. I want to say thanks, Dale, for inviting us to be here today. It's a great pleasure to talk with you and uh, to meet you and to have a chance to talk about the Beyond Stewardship Project. I'm a, an engineer by training. I have um, worked in several different places. I uh, worked at NASA. I worked at an independent aerospace R&D consulting firm. And then I started teaching at Calvin uh, University almost 20 years ago now. Mm. My interests, uh, based on my what I teach, are in energy and the way energy works its way through society, enables mm. human well-being and economic growth um, or not, and mm. also results in environmental degradation. Mm. So, um, also like David, as a lifelong Christian, I've often wondered about the intersection among all of those factors. And, um, 
in the Beyond Stewardship Project just emerged out of conversations that David and I and others had over, oh, you know, actually decades now mm-hmm. of uh, talking about these issues. Mm-hmm. I remember back to when I was in third grade, we were given <laughs> some kind of a project by my teacher, Ms. Adams. Um, and I would imagine it was Earth Day, you know, because why else would a third grade teacher at Portage, Michigan give an assignment <laughs> like this? But uh, our little bit of it was to talk about pollution. And my, my uh, teammate and I wanted to talk about overpackaging pollution, mm. the idea that you put too much junk around your little matchbox car toys or whatever you're interested <laughs> in in the day and how that was actually contributing to problems on the planet. So, um, you know, as far back as grade three, here I was already in, in my own way thinking and talking about this stuff. So that's mm. kind of the angle that I come yeah, um, that, that this, this in, book and this project. The energy tie-in explains a lot. I was kind of interested in your background in engineering because most of the people that are really passionate about this are are often in, uh, in biology, like like Dave and myself. And so it's I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It seems like engineering is, um, you know, not the most direct tie-in. Have you have you found that other in people in your department or in your field are as interested in this topic as you are? The international colleagues that I have are mostly engineers. And so there's a, there's a group of people who are very interested in energy and the economy and human well-being. And that group of people are mostly coming at it from an, from an energy point of view and from an engineering point of view. Mm. I think that gives us uh, a technical edge and advantage when, we're, when we start talking about things like climate change or um, you know, pollution emissions or the way energy contributes to economic activity that um, you don't get if you are an economist or an ecologist. Um, and what I really enjoy is being able to bring that point of view, mm-hmm. my point of view, to the table when I'm talking with people like David or when I'm talking to economists or writing with economists or whatnot. And um, that sort of sense of collaboration that's grounded in the disciplinary expertise, I think is one of the hallmarks of this this book and um and a hallmark of fantastic and excellent collaboration as well great um so tell us a little bit of the history of this book because this is this book is almost a, a sequel of sorts right to a few other books that were started coming out in the 70s and 80s detailing things that we called environmental stewardship and christian dominion over creation and this this your title beyond stewardship and especially the subtitle new approaches it implies that we need a new approach so what what's wrong with the with the stewardship model and, and even the term itself that we've been using for the past couple of decades. Why don't I start and then Matt can definitely fill in because I won't yeah. remember all, all the <laughs> things that I probably should be saying, uh, which is one of the reasons I love doing these things with Matt because he fills the holes. <laughs> I just love that. So um, yeah, 19, 1980, uh, a book came out called Earthkeeping and um, the subtitle was Stewardship of Our Natural Resources. And that was a book that um, emerged out of the um, uh, Calvin Center for Christian Scholarship, which also funded our book and supported mm-hmm. our book. Um, and that was a book that really introduced the concept of stewardship to evangelical Christianity mm-hmm. and um, implored Christians to take seriously God's calling for us to take care of the creation. It's more than just resources to exploit and to benefit from. But that we need to take good care of it. Um, 
the subtitle, Stewardship of um, Natural Resources, still has that resource um, word connected to it. Uh, a subsequent book, uh, Stewardship in the 90s, uh, so it was an update of Earthkeeping. So it was called Earthkeeping uh, in the 90s. Um, they dropped that, and then it was Stewardship of Creation was the subtitle. So you can see that some shifting in thinking was happening already just with the authors of that book. So our, our effort then, I, I think, follows those two books and a whole bunch of other really good scholarship by Christian authors and theologians, uh, scientists. Um, but, but what we're trying to do is to look past stewardship. Um, and that stewardship was certainly an improvement from the, the general notion of dominion, mm. that we're in charge. Uh, God put us in charge. We can do with creation whatever we want. He wants it to benefit us, and so let's let it benefit us. Um, basically would be dominion. Mm. And stewardship is, you know, was a great advancement from that. But I, I think, you know, one of the, the main limitations of stewardship in my mind is that we're still sort of people taking care of something, right? Mm. We we are stewarding the creation. And in that way of thinking and explaining, it's almost like we're not part of creation, right? We're somehow outside mm. of it. And it's messed up because we haven't been taking care of it enough. Um, when in truth, it's messed up because we've messed it up. Mm -hmm. And it's not that creation needs to be stewarded better. We need to take a look at the way we're living. And we need to change the way we're living so we don't continue to degrade it so much. So um, stewardship, the concept there has limitations. While it was a really um, important advancement from dominion, I mean, all models have limitations. Right? Yeah, yeah. They have a half-life. And um, so we're proposing that it's time for us to, to think past stewardship and to come up with some new ideas. I would say one of the great um, resources, so to speak, of the Reformed tradition, which is what what we, uh, the authors, are, are steeped in. One of the great resources of that tradition is this idea that we can reevaluate and reassess and rethink things that are important to us. So even in the introduction, um, we noted the motto from the Second Dutch Reformation, which says the church is reformed and always being reformed according to the word of God. That gives us the opportunity and the, the license, if you will, to say, okay, we've been doing this for two or three decades. Is it, how's it working out? Yep. And where do we stand when we, when we think about it uh, today? So um, the opportunity seemed right. The time seemed right. We had a group of people that we gathered around us who were just absolutely fabulous and willing to walk with us as we, we thought about these, these issues. And, um, so the the collaboration was awesome, and and but it emerged out of this I, out of this stew in which it at least a good part of that is hey it's okay to think about and question and review yeah. and revise mm -hmm. and uh, and have another run at something that we find to be important. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, some Christians are a little uncomfortable with the idea of about theology being revised at all. You know, they, they feel like, oh, the Bible is fixed, therefore theology is fixed as well. And 
while the scripture is sort of set in place, our understanding of it is, is dynamic and it's, it's healthy to, um, you know, especially when we're talking about stewardship, which is not a, a word that comes out of the Bible. It's a concept. And if that concept's not working, let's, let's devise a new one. So let's, we'll come back to, you know, what, what new approaches you did come up with, but you, you alluded to the idea that you had a team working on this and that this is a, an edited volume, but this is pretty different from a normal edited volume where people just sort of send in their essay and, you know, basically you just have to figure out what order they, they end up in. Tell, tell us uh, more about the process that went into putting this, uh, this book together. Why don't you take that for now, Matt, and I'll fill in the things that you miss. <laughs> okay. We asked the 12 chapter authors and ourselves to write something that could not go into one of their disciplinary journals. Hmm. We wanted something that could a contribution from each author that made up some sort of larger whole that had some consistency amongst the chapters to reduce the burden of the reader as they switch from one chapter to the next. Obviously the voice is going to change, the topic's going to change. We don't need to add um, a huge change in writing style or a huge change in structure on top of that. So we, yeah. we wanted to keep a very direct and, um, and, and this might not be the right word, but kind of a simple writing style. <laughs> and we also wanted every single chapter, this is the, the brilliance of our editor, uh, Susan Felch at, at um, Calvin Press. The brilliance of, of Susan was to say every chapter has to, for this book, has to start with a story. Mm. And then you draw from that story the important thing that you want to say about moving beyond stewardship or adjusting the idea of stewardship or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was uh, one of the biggest joys of this process was to see that come together and to um, and to watch the chapters take shape and develop into something that, that turned out to be quite, uh, I hope, quite coherent. Also, one of the biggest frustrations was getting the authors to the point where they agreed that that would be a good idea. Yeah. That's not easy because every one of us, and this is no fault of anybody, it's just all of us scholars are accustomed to writing for our guild, yeah. for, our, for the journals that we write in. And uh, we wanted to aim higher than that with this book to make it accessible to a wider audience. Yep. Um, and I think that was a, both a worthy goal, and I suppose readers will judge us whether we did it well or not. But I think the one thing I can say is that we did it as well as we, we think we could. We could. Mm -hmm. um, it was, yeah, uh, I would say it was really we funny. pushed a couple of the authors just about to the brink. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so much to their credit that they hung in there. But you yeah, know, we wanted wonderful. we wanted each chapter written at a twelfth grade level or lower, and um, and, and and that that goal was questioned by a couple of the authors and challenged. But we really stuck to it, and um, and they hung in there with us. So mm -hmm. it was uh, it wasn't easy, but it was extremely rewarding. I would say. How, so how, how did? Oh, go ahead. In terms of process, which is, I think, part of your original question, um, we gathered the authors for two workshops, one at the beginning of the summer of 2018 and one at the end of the summer of 2018. Mm -hmm. we, we gathered everybody together to share their ideas and 
and uh, talk about some of the ideas that they had for writing. We narrowed their the topics down as a group, not just me and David. It was a group effort to get input from others, narrow down the topics, uh, and then they had to write, um, you know, a thesis sentence and at least a couple of paragraphs at the end of that first workshop. They came back at the end of the, at the second workshop with a with a dra- first draft, and um, it, we called it Edit Fest, where everybody got together and and uh, every chapter was seen by, in the end, at least half of the other authors or something like that was was the rule that we had so um and that the interaction amongst the authors reading each other's work providing feedback um it it just reminds me of those uh this this uh rock polishing machine i had when i was a kid right we got all of all 12 14 of us have really hard ideas Mm -hmm. um but you put them in this grinder which is kind of what it was at times um in the best possible way and the rough edges get smoothed off. You get to see the beauty of what each person is writing and you open the lid at the end and you look at it and you're like, wow, this is, and it's so true that the chapters that appeared in the book are so different from the very first drafts that everybody had. Um, Just like the rocks in this tumbler thing come out looking beautiful and completely different than they, they were when they went in and you get something that's that, um, you know, you pull all these rocks out of the tumbler and they all kind of are oblongish shape and they maybe they have different colors, but they're all there's a, a much more of a sameness to them now than they had before, yeah. for better or for worse. And I think the same thing happened here. There's some sameness to the chapters that you probably recognize when you read it. Um, but I, but our hope is that that sameness provides clarity, provides ease of reading, provides an opportunity for engagement uh, on the reader that they wouldn't otherwise have. Mm-hmm. It's, I loved how all the chapters cross-reference each other so frequently. It, it made it easy to both understand the concepts and return to ideas to see how they fit together because this is such an interdisciplinary topic. We, this is, this is, we, we need you know, engineers and biologists and social scientists and, and theologians to contribute to this. So that, I, I really appreciated that. I think you know, the, the books that preceded this were a voice that was dominated from one perspective, you know, um, mostly, mostly biologists. And so I, I really valued that. And I think um, readers will as well. How did, how did you, how did you choose your, your scholars and how did you choose the topics that they were going to, to talk on? Because I think it is a really um, multidisciplinary um, concept and you probably could have gone in a million different directions and each of them could have written on different topics was that something everybody did on their own or was it something you did as a group yeah i would i would say that you know we it's not like we sat around and thought okay who are we going to put in the lineup today you know Mm -hmm. um let's get this one and let's get this one that kind of thing it was much more it was much more organic um these are people who we have had relationships with we've served on committees with them we've uh, worked on maybe some other projects Maybe we've done some co-teaching. Uh, so they are people that we have rubbed shoulders with in the past and have found some resonance in some of their thinking and our thinking. Um, so I, and, and, and it just sort of like, we didn't start out saying we need 12 people. You know, we just sort of pulled together a, a list of people who we thought would work well. And, um, and, and, and they all stuck with it the whole way through. So. There wasn't any like formula or anything. Yeah. It's just some, these are some friends we've had conversations with mm-hmm. or we've, we've done stuff with before. And, and um, I think one thing that it does, and I, I wouldn't 
wouldn't be able to emphasize this enough is it shows how important it is to have cross-disciplinary interactions with others. Yeah. And that does not happen. I don't know about your school, Dale, but it doesn't happen enough at Calvin. And I think in higher ed in general, we, we are so um, accustomed to just our own silos and our own uh, um, departments. Yeah. So anytime we can branch out and interact with others from, you know, from, from e economics and from English and philosophy, it, it's only good things happen. It seems to Absolutely. me when that kind of thing can arise. Yeah. One of the things you asked about Dale was the, the ideation process. How did we come up with the ideas for the chapters? And we asked the authors to come to the workshops with ideas in mind, and we had them narrow them a little bit. But one of the fun exercises that we did is something that I call like projects in the round or something like that, or maybe ideas in the round. And we ask we asked every author to show their idea on a white on an easel, you know, like mm -hmm. a newsprint easel thing, using no words, only pictures. And then the other authors, half of the authors were the audience and half the authors were the speakers. So the speakers would then describe what their pictures were in three minutes or less. And then when three minutes were done, all the others rotated to the next, um, to the next other. Only, only you, you saw half of the other, other, um, other projects and, and papers. And the interesting thing about that process is that ripping people out of their comfort zone where they can't use any written words yeah. makes them tell their story in a different way. Yep. What happens in those exercises is that the speakers never tell the story the same way twice and they refine their, their description of their chapter and refine it and improve it very quickly over the course of a couple of people listening to their story. Mm -hmm. So we were able to build in some cool exercises that efficiently helped everybody narrow down their ideas pretty quickly because they could, you know, easily see in a couple of minutes. It's almost like an elevator pitch for what your chapter idea is, right? Yeah. In a couple of quick minutes, you can tell what's resonating with the other authors and what isn't um, and then get feedback on it. And, um, and you know, we were, kind of, we were very intentional. Dave could probably talk more about this, but we we're intentional about that kind of stuff and also about building community among the authors so that what emerged from all their writing was something that more resembled a whole than yeah. a sum of the parts. Yeah, it, it certainly reflects that. It doesn't read like a, a typical uh, edited volume where every essay is independent. And, and I, I love that about it. I, I think it, it feels like a, a car where you need every different component to make it work well. And I think that's more true of this topic than almost any I can imagine. You know, if we think about how to take care of God's creation, we think of how to take care of each other. It's not just a question for, for you know, physicians or for uh, economists or for uh, soci sociologists. We, we really need input of all those different perspectives. And so um, kudos to you for putting together a great team. I, I'm curious how, how much things changed in that process as of, of walking through it. And it sounded like you had some, some resistance, which of course is expected and natural, but it, did, did people fundamentally change what they wrote and uh, going through that community experience of trying to write together? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through these different chapters, Matt, and, um, you know, I think I, I can think of a couple of them that changed markedly. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think others that, that stayed 
pretty similar to an earlier draft, but just got um, a lot more in, uh, understandable yep. and maybe more coherent. So yeah, that was kind of maybe um, a fair bit of variation among those. I, I will say, you know, reemphasize a little something that Matt brought up is that we we really were intentional about building community. So it's one thing to right, have your chapter or your paper edited by someone else. But um, if you trust that person and you know them, um, it's going to make that feedback a lot more meaningful and maybe more, um, you'll be more receptive. So, I mean, we did service projects with everybody. So we got everybody out of their comfort zone and we all were cutting down this invasive shrub buckthorn that's on our natural areas in our campus. Yeah, here too. So, I mean, having a philosopher out cutting down an invasive plant, you know, <laughs> the saw right next to an English scholar and that sort of thing. So, you know, building community, we had meals together, you know, and um, so they got to know each other. We knew them all ahead of time, but they didn't all know each other. And so it was important to build that, that trust um, so that the feedback would, would make sense, would be, and I think it goes both ways. When you know somebody well, you're, you're going to be less harsh. Maybe you'll be a little more careful with the words that you use in giving them feedback. So um, that, that was a really, really important part of it. So what's, if you can summarize, what's, what's the thrust of the book? What is the new approach? And I know that there are, you know, 12 different contributions to that answer, but, you know, people are going to come to this book looking for those, not mm. the solutions, because I think we all know that it's not that simple, but what's, what's, the, not, what's the novelty that come, comes out of your book? I, mean, I, would, I would start, I'll, I'll answer the question, but I'll start by saying I, we found it, um, Maybe this is like you've mentioned, Dell. It's such a broad topic. It's so multidisciplinary to think that okay, stewardship. Let's not do that anymore. Let's do this. Uh, yeah, that's a rather naive approach, right? This is we need to think deeply and broadly uh, about the way we interact with the creation. And so we felt like there's no one thing that now is going to be our next paradigm as we move forward. Uh, but we do feel like there are some some themes and some hallmarks that ought to infuse uh, our lives as we think about the creation more, more carefully. And I think, I think one, one theme that came through is that we've, we've got to let go of this human exceptionalism hmm. that has been cultivated um, far too well over the years. Uh, yes, indeed, we are the only species created in God's image. Um, but okay, fine. Let's let's get over that. <laughs> we are <laughs> yeah, still organic creatures ourselves. We have DNA. We don't have all that many chromosomes, actually, when you look at other species. Um, so our genetics don't make us look all that special. Um, we are part of God's creation, along with lots of other species that he cares about very much. And so I think um, humility, you know, and, and not, uh, bringing us back down. And, and as soon as I say that, I feel like I got to balance it out. Yes, we're we're the image bearers. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, but um, well, so it's I'm nuanced. Saying, yeah, yeah, right. We're not just a naked ape. You know, yeah. we're not. But um, let's recognize how much a part of the creation we are, and the importance then of of learning how to fit ourselves in to this tapestry of creation instead of just imposing our presence on on it. Um, so so th I think that's a a theme that comes through in different ways in, in multiple chapters. If you wanted to make a word cloud out of mm. some of the themes that emerge from the book, um, I just wrote down five words here that, and I'm sure we could find plenty more. Yeah. Um, but earthkeeping, 
would be a word on there. Kinship between humans and the non-human creation. Symbiosis, earthlings, humility. All of those words would be part of that word cloud that I think the word cloud picture that gets painted by this book is different, is substantially different from stewardship, from dominion, um, a word cloud that you would maybe make from the 1970s and 1980s. Uh, and, you know, that's not to say, and we, we're very careful in the book to say that what came before was super important and was mm -hmm. very, very helpful. And it was well done. Um, yeah. Right. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 um, the earthkeeping book has been um, and continues to be really important for a lot of people, um, which is fantastic. Um, and we really feel like we're standing on the shoulders of the happens to be all gentlemen who, who put that together. Um, well, and you had their, their sort of tacit endorsement, I guess not even tacit, explicit. They, uh, they contributed a sort of a, a postlude to the book and, and talked about their experience watching this movement, which they helped to initiate over time. What was it like working, you know, sort of uh, having them witness the, um, the evolution of the, of the movement that they started? Thanks for listening to the Disciple Science Podcast. You can hear part two next week as we wrap up my conversation with Dr. Matt Hewn and Dr. Dave Warners on their book, Beyond Stewardship. Disciple Science exists to show how integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. We're a nonprofit based in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we are fully crowdfunded, so everything we do is dependent on your generosity. You can give by visiting our website, disciplescience.com. There you can also explore the rest of our resources, sign up for our newsletter, send us feedback about what you want to hear more about in the future. You can also help by rating and sharing our videos and podcasts, liking and commenting on our videos on YouTube, and telling your friends about Disciple Science. I want to thank Caleb Davis, as always, for composing our theme music and for producing this week's episode. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon.